Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What if you could become a better person, not by working harder, but by allowing your inherent goodness to take the lead? And not because you're a bad person, but because there's something inside you that's ready for more. How to Be a Better Person gives you one tiny step a day you can take to be the person you want to be. My mission? To help you keep growing. Hey, and welcome to How to Be a Better Person. I am Kate Hanley, the author of the book, How to Be a Better Person, and the host of this podcast. And I'm super excited to have you here today. Thanks for coming. Have you ever been so focused on thinking about something clearly that you ended up completely overthinking it? Yeah, me too. Today, I'm replaying an interview with Melody Wilding. She's a licensed social worker, an executive coach, and the author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. Although this interview originally aired in October 2021, Melody's insights offer a lot of context for why you may tend to overthink in the first place, as well as some strategies for how to get out of the overthinking loop. I particularly loved what she shared about the upsides of the predisposition that makes you more prone to overthinking. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Melody. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. You have a really lovely term for people who do what I call giving a shit. <laughs> so what is the term that you use and does some, how does someone know if it applies to them? Yes, I call these people sensitive strivers. So they are people who are highly sensitive. They think and feel everything more deeply. They're more attuned to nuances and perceptive of what's going on around them. But they're also very ambitious. They're strivers. They want to make an impact. They want to hit big goals. And so those two qualities can be a tremendous asset. It makes you very conscientious, loyal, you're hardworking. But when some of those qualities are unbalanced, it can lead to downsides. Got it. So how does being a sensitive striver, which I think a lot of my listeners can identify with, I mean, that's why they're listening to a podcast called How to Be a Better Person, right? They care and they want to do good. How does being a sensitive striver impact decision making? About 15 to 20% of people are highly sensitive. So this is not something that makes you weak or inadequate. This is a very real biological and neurological trait difference that a certain amount of the population has. So when it comes to decision-making, the brains of sensitive strivers actually process information more deeply. They have different brain circuitry, neurochemicals in areas of the brain that are related to mental processing. So when it comes to a decision, a sensitive striver is looking at every possible contingency, eventuality, gap, opportunity that can possibly happen and trying to weigh those all at once, all at the same time. And so all of that, that depth of processing, looking at various angles and nuances, 
can leave you more susceptible to the stress that comes along with decision making. Right. So it's just like kind of an invitation for overthinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sensitive strivers tend to be textbook overthinkers, especially when it comes to assuming the worst that could happen <laughs> in a situation. Mm. You have some memorable advice about how to put any decision into perspective. Can you share what that is? One of my favorite tools for more effective decision making is something I call the 10-10-10 rule. And this is because, like I said, sensitive strivers, we tend to go down worst case scenario. We worry about being a failure or that something is going to ruin our, our reputation, for example. So the 10-10-10 rule is very simple. It's a way to put decisions in perspective by asking yourself, will this matter 10 weeks, 10 months, or 10 years from now? And doing that, asking yourself that question can almost immediately allow you to realize, actually, what I'm so hooked on in this moment is not even going to make a difference in 10 days, let alone 10 weeks or 10 months from now. I love that. That's so practical and it's such a good way to get perspective on something that feels maybe so important in the moment, but <laughs> might be something that we won't even remember later. That's super helpful. Earlier this week, I talked about using intuition to make decisions on the podcast. And I talked about doing that by quieting the nervous system so that you can hear that wise inner voice. You've written about another way to build up the lines of communication between your rational mind and your intuitive mind, aka your gut. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So your intuition, you know, I think we dismiss it as something that's woo-woo or something that's overly spiritual and not real. But your intuition is is very real. It's the accumulation of all of your knowledge, your past experience that you make sort of a, a quick decision on without conscious thinking. So intuition is really powerful, like you said, as long as we create space for it and give ourselves permission to trust it and listen to it. So one exercise that actually one of my clients came up with this, and he called it the day of disinhibition. And for one day, he allowed himself to trust his gut on everything he was presented with. This particular person actually owned a business. And so a lot of trusting his gut came down to giving feedback to people instead of holding it back or trying to uh, massage his words a certain way so it would land with someone in the best way. Uh, it involved allowing him to set his morning up in the way he wanted to instead of feeling like he had to be at his desk and doing certain things at a certain time. So that little experiment, that day of disinhibition was so freeing for him. You know, he told me, yes, I got a lot more done and that was fantastic. I got more done and I got it done more quickly. But what was the best part about it was the frame of mind it put me in, that he felt freer, lighter. He didn't feel like he was getting in his own way. Mm, I love that. So these days, now that COVID has added a whole new layer to our regular decision-making process and forced us to make a lot more choices, we're all prone to decision fatigue. How can we reduce the number of decisions we need to make in a day so that we have more bandwidth for those meatier decisions? So decision fatigue is just what it sounds like. The fact that we all make hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions every day. 
And most of those are minor and inconsequential. It's deciding when to get up, what to eat for breakfast, what order (laughs) you do your morning routine in. But each of those decisions depletes the mental energy, literally the glucose we have in our brain for bigger decisions. So the more you can eliminate some of those minor decisions, literally the more energy you have left over for the ones that really matter. So one of the easiest and most powerful ways to limit decision fatigue is with routines and rituals. Routines where you set something up to do a certain way so that you can do it almost on autopilot without thinking about the steps that are involved. Or rituals where you have a a certain process for doing something. So you can also look at where can I eliminate decisions altogether? Personally, I am very boring. I eat pretty much (laughs) the same thing every day because for me, so much energy goes into deciding what to eat and when to get groceries and how I need to meal prep. So I just eliminate all those decisions by eating pretty much the same thing from day to day. And that is a tremendous time save and energy save for me. Now, that might not work for you, but I would encourage you to think about where can you create processes, standardized protocols? Where can you delegate or remove yourself from having to make a decision altogether? Mm. I can also see that like, you know, having sort of a uniform is just wear the same type of clothes, you know, without having to um, put a lot of thought into it. I mean, of course, we all are going to have our places where we want to make decisions because they're fun. But then there are certain things that we don't care about as much. Like, for example, you love eating the same thing every day. Some people might really get into um, dressing up every day. But for me, I'm all about like, the stretchy pants <laughs> and a handful of shirts. So I really never really thought about the fact that I was lightening my cognitive load. I love it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So you talk about that. We've been talking about how being sensitive can come with a tendency to overthink and sometimes to overwork, but you also refer to it as a superpower. Can you talk about the strengths that come from being sensitive? Yes. Like I said, sensitivity can be a double-edged sword, but at the end of the day, it is a tremendous superpower if you know how to leverage it correctly and you have the tools to manage yourself. So your sensitivity, it makes you emotionally intelligent, empathetic. You know, many of the people I work with come to me and say, you know, I'm really not good at navigating workplace politics or influencing people. And I have to challenge them on that. Because as someone who is more sensitive, you have an ability to read people, to understand what they're feeling, all so that you can actually influence, understand them more effectively. So sensitive people also tend to be more deliberate decision makers. They are people who tend to be a calming force on everyone around them, even if maybe most of the time they don't feel that way within But your sensitivity allows you to see nuances, opportunities, as I mentioned earlier, because you're synthesizing information that other people are missing. So you're able to see things that other people don't. And and all of that, you know, is a a tremendous advantage, especially in today's world. Mm, I love that. Is there anything else you wish more people knew about resisting the temptation to overthink? I think one other thing I'll add is what I call sensitive strivers rule, which is that overthinking expands to the time that you allow it. And I see this all the time, that if my clients 
don't put reins on how long they allow themselves to think about something, they will overthink it forever. So get creative about where you can apply healthy constraints to limit yourself from overthinking. Maybe you only give yourself a few days to do a presentation rather than maybe typically you'd give yourself two weeks and it takes the full two weeks. You can limit the amount of resources or people you consult to make a decision. Because I know for me personally, I have a tendency when I have to make a decision, I will consult everyone around me and I want everyone's opinion, but then that, <laughs> that can drown out my own intuition and my own voice. So making a conscious decision of I'm going to run this by one person I trust and then make a decision after that, those constraints can really help you make more effective decisions faster. Excellent. For folks who'd like to read more of your work or connect with you, where can they find you? You can find the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and you can find me at my website, melodywilding.com. Fantastic. And remind us of the name of your book. It is called Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Melody. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is Kate with your tiny assignment, which is to use the 10-10-10 rule that Melody explained to us. So think of some decision that you are overthinking and then think about how are you going to feel about this decision in 10 weeks? And then how are you going to think about it in 10 months? And then how are you going to feel about it in 10 years? Answering those three questions should really help put things in perspective and take away some of the what ifs and give you some perspective and some confidence about what decision you can make now that's going to lead to the future that you want. How to Be a Better Person's theme song, Left for Deadish, is by Junior85. The episodes are mixed by Sound Advice Strategies. If you liked what you heard in this episode, share it with someone you think would like it too. Your voice matters. Also, How to Be a Better Person has an official newsletter that sends the past five episodes and a well-chosen meme to your inbox every weekend. Sign up at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com and click on Get Podcast News. I also love to hear from listeners. I mean, I love it. Send me an email by clicking on the Contact Kate button at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com or you can tweet me at Kate W. Hanley don't forget the W, or find me on Instagram at Kate Hanley Author. I look forward to connecting with you. 